0: Well, this, this morning is our fourth week in this series that we have uh, started, titled Acts, the, the Light of Salvation. And we're looking specifically at, at some specific chapters in the book of Acts, chapters 9 to, to 14. And, and we haven't quite got out of chapter 9 yet in, in week 4 of it. The, the title of our message this morning is Ready for Response and Rejection. I'm going to unpack what I mean by that here as we go through this message this morning. The text we're going to start with today is actually part of what we concluded with at the end of the the message last week. We're just kind of reorient you in the the story. We're looking at the life of a man named Saul and how he, he hated Christians. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, became a Christian, and then he began to preach. And then the Lord took him out from the city of Damascus for three years to the wilderness of Arabia, And he was grown there in his faith and his knowledge of who Jesus is and in that wilderness. And then he's returned back to Damascus and begins to preach again the message of Christ. And as we look at this story, what we're going to do is we're going to draw a, a thread that is found in this story of Saul and what he experiences here, and that runs all the way to our lives right here, right now, to what we do. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 9, verses 23 to, to 25 This should be familiar to you if you were here last week. Now, when many days had passed, which is Luke's way of saying three years, right, had passed, the Jews plotted to kill Saul, but their plot became known to him. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, we, we talked about this, this text more last week in terms of the, the narrative itself. And, and what I want to focus on now is really what, what was happening in that many days between his conversion and this dramatic event. One of the primary things that I think the Lord was doing in Saul over the course of the, the wilderness time that he had was that the Lord was equipping Saul and readying him to live faithful to Christ in both times of great good responses and success. And also to live faithfully in times of rejection and suffering. And I really do believe those things are the same things that every believer today needs to be preparing for and being made ready for as we ourselves are growing spiritually too. Here in verses 23 to 25, we see hints of of both of these things in Saul's life, even at this point, right? Saul has some success, apparently, with his proclamation of the gospel, some positive responses taking place because the text tells us he has some disciples, some people who have been converted under Saul's ministry there in Damascus as he's been sharing about Jesus. And we also see an early instance of suffering come into Saul's life here too, don't we? Right? There's those who so reject Saul and his message that they, they're trying to kill him there in Damascus. And that led to the whole dramatic escape taking place that we just read about. And then, as we read last week too, the, the text continues the story of Saul. We read in verses 26 to 30, So when Saul, after he escaped Damascus, he went to Jerusalem and attempted to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple." But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how at Damascus Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him too." (laughs) And when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now, here for the second time in just these few verses, in a whole different city, a second location, Saul gets a little bit of success, right? He's finally accepted by the apostles there in Jerusalem. He's made this new friend who will prove to be a very good and faithful friend in in Barnabas. And he's got that blessing of that new friendship and, and support from him. But then again, very quickly, and as I explained last week, within 15 days, just over two weeks, Saul's again facing suffering and rejection and he's hated by those he's trying to help there in Jerusalem come to understand who God is, what truly submitting to him looks like and how the gift of saving grace comes through faith in Jesus Christ and the result of this period of suffering and this persecution against Saul means again he has to flee for his life. So I don't think anyone would argue against this observation from the life of Saul. Saul saw successes and suffered rejection and hatred for following Jesus Christ. Right? Even just in this, these few verses, these two accounts at the very beginning of his Christian life, this is certainly true. He saw some success, but he also suffered rejection and being hated for following Jesus Christ. Now what I want us to see today is how the example of Saul in this way is a model for us and how it has points of application for us here today. Though we're in a different culture, though we're speaking a different language, though we live in a different time with vastly different technology, we're still dealing, really, with the same cycle of events in our own lives at different times, playing out perhaps in a little bit different ways, but the same in principle nonetheless. Neither the successes that Saul sees, nor suffering the rejection that he faces— should be a surprise to us if we know Saul's story. We've been listening over the last several weeks, right? So with Saul in particular, we know he has this compelling, powerful experience of God's grace and salvation with this encounter on the Damascus Road. It was was awesome and incredible, and who wouldn't want to hear the story of how the life of Saul has been transformed, right? So we expect there to be some success from that. Saul's impressive. His encounter with Christ is impressive. We shouldn't be surprised that when Saul preaches, when Saul leverages his his upbringing, remember, he's very intelligent, very zealous, well-trained in the Hebrew Scriptures, we expect to see some success when Saul shares about Jesus. So we shouldn't be surprised about that, but we need to note that Saul was not just set aside for success when God saved him. In fact, if you go back to one of the texts we walked through already, we read these words from God speaking to Ananias about the salvation of Saul in Acts chapter 9 verses 15 and 16. The Lord said to Ananias, go He wants him to go and lay hands, right, for the the healing of his eyes. For Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of the earth. And then verse 16 says, And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So notice carefully what's said there. There's a call upon Saul. He's a chosen instrument that God intends to use to reach various people that he lists out there. But then God expressly states There will also be suffering in Saul's life as he fulfills this call. And I always want to take the opportunity to say this very clearly to us when we have warrant to do it. Listen, being saved is not a promise of ease, success, health, wealth, popularity, or prosperity in this life. Anyone who tells you that's what it means to be a Christian, anyone who promises you this is what naturally follows if you are saved, who wants to reduce the message of Scripture, the invitation of the gospel to some trivial version of living your best life now, or tries to tell you if you just give or do certain things, like those, those preachers on TV sometimes who all they're really after is your money, right? If you give, then you'll force God to bless you and do this. Anyone who does that is a false teacher, who should be rejected, and we should see clearly they will stand condemned before God on the final day because that is not what salvation is according to the Scripture. God intends for Saul to have some successes in his life, yes. But God also expressly says that Saul will experience a lot of suffering and rejection in this life too. So that statement in verse 16, when we read it about Saul, sometimes what we want to do, maybe secretly in our hearts, or maybe not so secretly, maybe you've even said this before, is you might want to read verse 16 and go, well, that's, that's, that's Saul's calling. <laughs> that just applies to him, right? And, and maybe we can do a little work in our minds to justify it. You know, well, I mean, Saul persecuted a lot of people before he was a Christian, Saul caused a lot of suffering, so maybe it makes sense that God's going to bring a little suffering to him, right? A little poetic justice in Saul's life. When God says, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name, and that's not because of how bad Saul was before his conversion. What you and I need to understand as Christians today is the connection is between salvation and suffering for the sake of Christ, and that is not unique to Saul as much as we might want it to be. The reason Saul will suffer for the sake of the name of Christ is because he's been saved by Christ. This is the reality for someone who follows after Jesus. There will be successes, yes, but there will be suffering as well. This statement is not a principle unique to Saul's. If he gets to suffer from specific to him purposes, no, the reality is every one of us is called to experience and endure suffering in a manner that glorifies the name of Jesus as we follow him in this world. In fact, Jesus tells us himself in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And what is the cross? I mean, if you think of the the old hymn, right, what does it refer to the old rugged cross as? It's the emblem of suffering and shame. That's what you see when you look at a cross, right? I mean, we have the, a beautiful cross out in the, in the foyer there that Jason made for us. And it's clean and, and very nice looking together. And that's not what a cross would look like for very long, right? They're instruments of torture, instruments of suffering, instruments of shame. There would be blood stains on a cross. And Jesus says, pick it up and follow me pick up your suffering, pick up the shame that comes with being identified with me, the one who hung and bled and died on a cross. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We are going to live in a world that looks upon the one we follow with disdain and with hatred. And as we look more like him, that's the natural response they will have towards us, right? We are here, as I've been repeatedly saying, we are living here, if we are Christians, as ambassadors of the kingdom of light, but we're on assignment in the kingdom of darkness. This is where we live. It means we interact day by day with those who are citizens of the kingdom of darkness and more than that, who love the darkness that they are in and want to continue to hide in the darkness. This is the natural bent of the human heart according to scripture. We're dealing in this world with people who the Bible tells us are naturally enemies of God, who hate him and his ways. And when they're exposed to his light, By us as his people, they will naturally hate us as well. That's exactly what was true of Saul before his conversion, right? He hated those who were proclaiming the light of Jesus until Saul himself met the light of Jesus on the road to Damascus. So think about this. The resistance that Saul faces in Damascus and in Jerusalem is the same kind of resistance he himself was putting forward before his conversion, right? Because that's what people do who have never seen and never submitted to the light of salvation in Jesus Christ. They resist the message of the gospel. They hate those who expose their sin and their need for forgiveness and repentance. No one likes to be told, you are not worthy. You are broken. You are not good enough. Those aren't messages we like to hear, are they? But that's the message of the gospel. You can't earn this salvation. You've not been perfect. You're not going to be able to accomplish it on your own. You need to abandon all hope in yourself and trust in someone else, Jesus Christ, to be your Savior. That's the message, and that message is not the message someone hiding in darkness wants to hear. When we say you are a sinner condemned by the holy justice of God, they say, no, 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 my sins are all tucked away back here. You can't see them. Saul, in his ministry, does see people who are radically saved and transformed by God, just as he was. He sees successes because Saul is being used as an instrument of God's grace, right? But Saul also faces the response that's natural for sinful people, hearing proclaimed to them, you are a sinner, you need salvation, you are called to submit to Christ and follow his ways. Saul suffers the reality of rejection and being hated because this is part of the price of being a disciple of Jesus. So understand this. I want you to write this down and work this deep into your heart and your mind because it, we have to fight to really embrace this Sometimes. Experiencing suffering is not a sign of failure for the follower of Christ. That's not the message our world tells us. That's not the the way our heart wants to really go. We don't like to lean into suffering and embrace suffering. We want to flee from it. We want to avoid it. And sometimes we can struggle with this reality that if we're suffering, surely it means we have failed in following Christ. It does not. This is part of the price of being a disciple. In fact, if we think specifically about the suffering of being rejected and being hated in this world, these words from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew are powerful for us to meditate upon. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10-12, to 12, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says it is a blessing to face suffering, rejection, hatred, and persecution for the sake of his name. That's not how we think of it often, is it? Right? So, so, so let's flesh it out. What, what this means is when we act in righteousness and take a difficult stand for what is right, when we refer to sin as sin instead of minimizing it or excusing it, well, no one's perfect, well, it wasn't as bad as this other thing, right? When we call a sinner to admit their sin, confess that, and repent of those things, when we share what the Word of God says and what He commands how life ought to be lived in this world, what his law is, when you and I pursue obedience and submission and try to hold others to that standard, when you and I operate in the light of the truth and that light exposes and confronts someone who's trying to hide in the darkness and they react by persecuting, reviling, and uttering all kinds of evil against us, Jesus says, see that as a blessing of being faithful. Even in the midst of the hurt and the pain that causes because experiencing those things, experiencing someone who's persecuting you, who reviles you, who utter all kinds of evil against you, who hates you, does hurt. I mean, the, the, the playground chant is, right, sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never hurt me. That's not true. That's never been true. Those words hurt, don't they? Sometimes they hurt a lot longer than the broken bone of the rock that, you know, hit you. It does hurt. It hurts a lot, especially when we're not prepared for it, or when it comes from people that we didn't expect it from. So I'm speaking from understanding of of the scripture here. I mean, this is clearly what the Bible teaches us, and from personal experience. I know this type of pain. I've heard and seen things like this. I've encountered this type of suffering in my life, my ministry, both in the distant past and the not so distant past. So I know the draw that's there, the desire to try and escape or avoid this kind of pain, because we don't like it in our natural flesh. None of us do. I don't. We can wish that it was different. We can wish that God's providence was that we were in a different season with a different experience. But the reality is when we experience suffering and when we experience these type of things, the Lord's led us there for a reason. And it doesn't mean we failed as a follower of Christ. The danger of the draw of wanting things to be different can sometimes lead us to taking inactivity as our posture, to becoming passive in our faith. So because we don't want to be persecuted, because we don't want to suffer, because we don't want someone to say something bad about us, don't want us to hurt us in that way, then, then we don't confront sin, and we, we don't want to call people to repentance, and we, we don't want to share the light of the truth, and we, we don't want to proclaim to someone who's lost in darkness that, that they need to come and submit to Christ to experience the light of salvation, because that can be uncomfortable and that can be painful in their response if it's negative, Right? But the Bible tells us very clearly that that kind of passivity and avoidance is being unfaithful to the one who has saved us and called us and sent us on the mission that he has given us as his ambassadors in this world. Right? I think of Saul, right? Saul doesn't get to stay in the wilderness to avoid this kind of suffering, does he? I mean, that, that time, those three years with the resurrected Christ had to be incredibly sweet for Saul, I mean, he's just out there every day growing in his spiritual vitality, understanding the word in a much deeper way than he had ever seen it before. He's being sanctified and grown personally. It's all amazing things. But Saul, like all of us today, was saved in order to be sent. And so he didn't get to stay in the wilderness. He didn't get to stay in the comfort. He didn't get to stay where everything was really good. He had to go and experience the suffering that comes from following Christ in this broken world. And Saul gets to see both positive responses and successes as he shares because that's the grace of God at work in this world. And then he experiences rejection and suffering because that's also the reality of the sinfulness of people in this world. So like Saul, when we speak the truth and we stand for righteousness and we proclaim holiness and we press back against the darkness and live in the light that exposes the things people want to try and hide, we too are going to be blessed just like Saul with times of suffering and success, but we're going to experience suffering as we do this. We need to understand that, and we must prepare for that. We cannot continue to think and act like being a Christian in this world is supposed to be an easy thing. It's not. The Bible doesn't give us that idea. Come follow Jesus, and everything will be super super great for you. Church history doesn't give us that idea. I've been reading a, a lot in, in early church history lately and, and reading one of the, the earliest church history books ever written by a man named Eusebius in 324 AD. And you know what most of his book is talking about? How Christians were being killed for being Christians. I mean, it's just page after page after page. And here they were persecuted. And here's a story of someone who is called to, to recant Christ, to say, no, I, I don't follow Jesus. I'll, I'll give the offering to Caesar. And they refuse. And then they are brutally tortured and murdered. This is what being a Christian in this world often looks like. You and I live in such a privileged time, such a blessed time where we have had peace, we have had this ability to freely share, that we don't think suffering must mean faithfulness. We must think suffering means we've done something wrong. That's not the case according to the Bible. That's not the case according to the experience of most of our Christian brothers and sisters throughout history. Suffering, when these things happen, when we are faithful to Christ, is a sign of his blessing. We need to stop assuming that we can be a Christian and loved by everyone in this world because we can't. We never have been able to. So we must fight against sin. We must pursue holiness in our lives and call for that holiness in the lives of those around us. We must take sin seriously. We must fight daily to mortify it, to kill sin. Because in the very memorable and accurate words of John Owen, if we are not killing sin, it will be killing us. We're at war. This is, this is not vacation time. We have a mission, we have a goal to accomplish. We must be on task here in this world and we must embrace the success that comes and the suffering that comes in this life. So this is the big idea. This is the application for us. What I want us to wrestle with, do we believe this? I'm not saying just intellectually, will you see this and nod? Sure, sure, that makes sense. I'm saying, do you have a conviction deep in your heart, deep in your soul that this is true and this is what you expect in your life? All believers are called to seek positive responses and experience successes, but also to prepare to suffer rejection and being hated for the sake of Christ. And the question is not: will you go, sure, that seems, that seems right from history, that seems right from the from the what the Bible has to say, that seems right from the experience of Paul. I'm asking you: do you believe you yourself will see successes in sharing Christ? And you will have to suffer for the name of Christ to be faithful to him. I have said so many times, especially in this series, that there is a direct connection between being saved and being sent on the mission. It's true for all of us. None of us are saved by God. And he's like, great, just chill out till till we go to heaven. It'll all, all be over soon. You just relax. He saves you to use you to further the mission that he is doing of saving sinners here. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be called and sent off to somewhere far away, right? It it may mean that. It may mean missions. It may mean we're going to go to to the university in Columbia. It may mean I'm going overseas. Or it may mean God's plan for you is right here with the people in this area. You're the missionary he's put right here to reach them. God has created every single one of us intentionally by his design and placed us at the exact place in this world at this exact moment in history because he intends to send us on this mission to proclaim the name of Christ, to see him change hearts of sinners, to experience the success of being on the winning side with the God who can do all things, and to experience suffering, to be rejected, even hated by some, as we stay faithful to Christ and proclaim what he has said. So part of why I'm dealing with this so directly today is because the text, I think, gives us the great opportunity to talk about this as we look at Saul and we see that thread in his life. But it's also because you and I, as I mentioned earlier, have the opportunity to take practical steps towards sharing Christ and engaging people in our circles here in this local area where we live over these next few weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter. So what, what I'm hoping is going to be true, what I'm praying is going to be true, and I'm, and I'm praying God would move on your hearts to, to compel you to do this, is that you would not only commit to, to taking a card and giving it to somebody, but that you would go more than that. You'd go further in your commitment to being part of the mission of God, and you would be preparing yourself praying for the success of lives to be changed here through you bringing someone to this place where they will hear the message of salvation on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. And we would celebrate together the success of salvation occurring in the lives of people who need him. But I also am praying that you would be ready and prepared for whatever hardship may come as you take the steps, because they may come. They may come. There may be a fear right now Lingering in your heart, maybe it's whispering in your mind. Maybe the thought's already there. You know, I, I, I can't do that. I mean, if I if I give them that card or if I take that that basket, you know, they're not going to respond to me. I better leave that to someone else. I've I've messed up too much to, to be used. Or or you know, I just I'm not that I'm not that gift. That's not my skill set. It's it's you know, it's just too difficult to hand somebody a card with all the dates and information on. I mean, I that's too much. And I want to speak against that fear, that feeling in you, and I want you to understand, you may actually experience some hardship if you do this. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You may hand this to someone, and they may get upset. You may hand this to someone, and it may lead to some really uncomfortable conversation. Someone could even be so offended that you would give them just a simple card like this and invite them to church that that they respond with hatred or or evil things to say about you. I'm not going to pretend that couldn't happen. Here's what I want you to know, though. Jesus says if it does happen, you're blessed because you are doing what he has called you to do. It may be uncomfortable, it may be be painful to you, it may hurt, it may hurt for quite a while, but Jesus says that's the blessing that comes from following me. You will suffer in this life if you follow Christ, but you will also see great success. I guarantee you won't see success if you never do it, though. If you never try, if you never take the step, then all you've got to look forward to is suffering. (laughs) Let's prepare for both the success and the suffering in our lives. So, so this is what we're going to pray for today. We're going to pray that if suffering comes in response to us taking these steps, handing out the cards, giving someone a basket, or just having that conversation that, you know, we, we know we should have been having already. If suffering comes when you do that, we're going to pray today that you would experience it faithfully and see it as a blessing. And then we're also going to pray today that the Holy Spirit would begin to move ahead of us. That even before we get out of this room here today, that that he would begin to prepare the hearts of those people that we're going to go engage. So that they would be drawn by him into this place to hear the message of salvation in 12 days and 14 days from now. That we would not just go out and be prepared to suffer, but we would go out expecting to see success and see positive responses. So we're going to pray and ask God to do this because this is what the Holy Spirit of God does. It's the work that he has to do. Only he can prepare the hearts of people that we are going to go engage. Even more than that, it's only him who can actually change the heart of a person who is a rebel enemy of him so that they would receive this message. The natural response, as we said, of the human heart apart from Christ is to expect what Saul faced in these places. Many of us have faced this before, that unbelievers would continue in their unbelief. They would hate Christ, hate his message, hate his people. That's the natural response we should expect. But we know that there are people who are saved when we engage them. We know there are people that when they're invited, they come and hear the gospel message. We know that people, when they hear the gospel message, do have their lives changed. How does that happen? It's not because our technique was perfect. It's not because you had the the exact right words. It wasn't because your timing was impeccable. It's because the Holy Spirit of God is working in this world. So so take a deep breath with me here. If you're thinking about going and sharing and inviting others and you're overwhelmed and it seems worrying, here's, here's the good news for you. You can't save anyone on your own. The disciples never did. Saul never did because none of us ever can. It is a supernatural work of God for any sinner to be saved. The Holy Spirit has to soften their hearts, has to open that heart up. He's the one who has to draw them and enable them to see the light of Christ because naturally we're all spiritually blind, just as Saul was before that road to Damascus, right? Right? The Holy Spirit is the one who has to give the gift of faith so they can believe. He has to apply the accomplished work of Christ, impute Jesus' righteousness to the sinner. He has to do this, and the good news is he does. He does all this work that's impossible for us to do. All you and I are called to do is not go save all the society around us. We're called to go be witnesses to him and trust him to do the impossible. We're called to go and share Make an invitation for them to come and pray and trust the Holy Spirit of God will do the impossible work that you and I can't accomplish. This is why the disciples were told to wait for the Holy Spirit to come after the ascension of Christ. This is why Saul, in the text that we read at his conversion, was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was saved and his physical sight was healed in Damascus. This is why the Holy Spirit indwells every believer of God when we are saved so that we can participate in this grand mission of God to see the success of salvation coming to sinners. Ephesians 1:13 and 14 tell us, listen to this, In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glorious grace. Hear that incredible encouragement. All of us, are believers, no matter how much training you have, no matter how much success you have had in sharing the gospel before, no matter how much uh, Bible studies you've been to or Sunday school classes you've attended, you, Christian, have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you from the moment of your salvation. And if that is true, as this text says, then the purpose of for this promise being fulfilled is true too. What Jesus says in Acts 1.8 was not just true for the apostles, it's true for us too. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As I've said to you many times before, the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit was not to give people a life of ease. It was not just to bring health into the people who have the Holy Spirit. It wasn't to let us generate wealth or be prosperous. It was not just for signs or wonders or gifts. The power is to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, to be his witnesses in, if we modernize what that meant to the first hearers who said it, to be his witnesses in our towns and in our region and in the neighboring areas and all the way out to the ends of the earth. He's empowering you and me to do this work. This is why he's given us the Holy Spirit Understand, the Holy Spirit of God works to empower and enable us to proclaim the message of Jesus. Not just me, not just a missionary, us, Christians, all of us. This is what he wants to do through you. He works in us to proclaim the message of Christ and then he works in the hearts of those who we proclaim to so that they can respond and be brought to faith and life in Jesus Christ. So it's true. Take a deep breath and believe this. You can't save anyone on your own. But we are not on our own. The Holy Spirit is working in and through us. So when you go hand this card out, it's not all on you. He's with you. He's working through you. You don't know the the person you give this Bible to, if that's the exact right moment, like I said earlier, of someone who who just needed the word of God in that moment. He knows all that stuff. Your job is to go. Make the invitation. Share Jesus with somebody. We are people with the message of salvation, eternal salvation, salvation. We're people who know that Jesus is God who took on flesh, who lived the perfect sinless life that you and I never could. He is the one who died as the substitute on the cross. He paid the price for every sin of those who believe in him. He took the wrath that we deserve. You know this. You believe this to be true if you are a Christian. You know that he is the light of salvation that sinners need to see. You have the job then to proclaim And point to Jesus. And I hope you know, I hope you believe that the Holy Spirit is at work still today. Opening the hearts of people to see Christ. Giving them the gift of faith to respond. He's the one drawing people from all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of different contexts to himself. And radically changing lives even today. And he's calling you and I to participate in this mission with the simple task of being his witness, making the invitation, sharing Christ. So as the worship team comes this morning, we're gonna prepare to respond. And I wanna say what I said last week. I want this this time of the service to be really clear in why we do this and what the point, the purpose, the goal of these moments are. It's not just to, to take a few extra minutes on the clock. This, this time right here is, we call it a, a response time, and, and if you've never submitted your heart to Christ, if you've never experienced his saving power, then this time is certainly an invitation time to you to come and to receive this. And that invitation is true even in a message like this where, I mean, let's be honest, I haven't sugar-coated anything today, right? I mean, the call I just told every Christian in this room is you are going to come and experience success in your life and suffering for the name of Christ. That's what salvation entails. So there's no bait and switch here. This is the reality of following Christ. But if you're honest and you're not a Christian, here's what I would challenge you to to think of. You would admit, if you're honest, you're already experiencing suffering in this life, right? From all kinds of different things. It's just part of living in a fallen world like we live in. But if you turn to him now, if you come to Christ, you can experience salvation in your life, and whatever suffering you have here, I guarantee you, doesn't even touch the suffering that is to come in eternity for those who continue to reject Christ. See, the salvation we have is deliverance from suffering, it's just not here, it's in eternity. There's an eternal suffering that comes from those who continue as rebels against God. There's there's an eternity spent in hell, paying for your sins that you have committed in your life if you don't come to faith in Jesus Christ right now. But for the Christian, for the one who receives salvation, we do receive deliverance from suffering. We receive deliverance from that suffering. And the Bible tells us the suffering we experience in this life is is as bad as it gets. Like this is it. This is the worst that can happen is we suffer and die here and then we go to glory, to eternity, forever, and everything is far better than you can imagine here. In fact, Saul later writes that suffering here, no matter how intense or prolonged it may be, he calls it a light and momentary suffering compared to the glory of what is to come in eternity for the people who Jesus has saved. No matter how bad it gets, it's light and momentary compared to what is ahead for one who is saved by Christ. Right? So this is a gift worth well receiving, isn't it? And if you never have these moments at the end of every service like this, this moment today is an invitation for you to come and receive salvation. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love for you to receive his mercy and grace today. So this is always a part of what we're hoping for, what we're praying for, what we're asking God to do in this moment. But that's not it. That's not all this moment is for. As I said last week, most of us in this room, we're living as Christians, but we're living in the tension of the already, but not yet. Like we, we believe this message, we've experienced the power of God in our lives, but as we desire to follow him and, and seek after him, we, we keep falling short. We keep failing, we keep messing up, we keep knowing that what we've just been challenged to go and do and believe and live out, it's really, really difficult, and we're probably not going to succeed on our own this coming week. And so these moments here right now are the moments for us to come and be made ready for what lies ahead. And there's a reason God put this rhythm into the Christian's life of weekly coming together, hearing the word preached and going out because he knows every single week we need to be built up, we need to be made ready again for what lies ahead. And so that's what these moments are for. They're for you to come, to repent and find forgiveness if you need to. To come and ask God for help or strength or wisdom to obey him and grow to be more like him. To come lay down those needs that we walked in here with that we're trying to handle on our own, but but if we're honest, we know we can't do it. These moments are moments for us to come and be made ready to leave this place and go back out on the mission that God has given us. So this song today is, is a new song, and uh, you, you won't know it. It's, it's simple. The lyrics will be on the screen. But here's what we have before us in this response time, this time to be made ready, is you have five minutes and 44 seconds. That's how long the track goes. So if you're going to respond, if you're going to come and ask God to make you ready to go, I'm going to challenge you, don't waste time. You wait two, three, four minutes, and and we're going to be about done. And we're going to have to leave, and we're going to have to go out, and we're going to have to live this mission out. And if you've sat there and wasted these moments to, to come and be made ready by God, well, by tomorrow or by Tuesday or by Wednesday, I think you'll regret it. You need God to work in you to make you ready for this mission he's sending you on. We all do. So there's no shame in coming to the altars. If you are one who sits back and thinks, I wonder what they're up there for, shame on you. I'll tell you what they're up there for. They're up there to be made ready by God for the mission that he is sending them on this week. So the altars are open for any need, for every need. This is our time to get, in response to the word of God, ready for what he is calling us to do this very week. Let's worship him. Let's be made ready. Lord, we thank you for this time of hearing you speak to us through your word. I pray, God, that there would be ears to hear, hearts ready to respond in me and in everyone else in this room, Lord. I pray, Father, that over these these next 12 days leading up to what we call Good Friday because of what it is that you did, Lord Jesus, that, that we would be the boldest we've ever been in proclaiming the message of Jesus to those around us that we would have the most courage and, and, and take the steps, Lord, to, to invite somebody to share about who you, you are in our lives, what you've done in us. I pray that, that when we come to Easter weekend, Lord, that, that this place would be filled with people who would, who would be moved as they hear about who you are and what you have done. We pray, God, that you would let us see this success. And I pray, Lord, that you would build us up Give us strength to be prepared for for any kind of suffering that may come, the kind of suffering that, that may feel real, it may hurt in these moments, but that we know you have told us is light and momentary compared to what lies ahead. Use us, we pray. Here we are, Lord. Send us. We thank you for this time and this place and this opportunity to hear you speak and to respond and to be made ready. We pray you go with us and lead us and guide us in every step out these doors. Through this coming week. It's in your beautiful, your powerful, your never-failing name that we pray and everyone said, amen. amen.